St. John Paul II launched a lot of teaching in his pontificate, but one of the most revolutionary was his theology of the body. In doing so, he was countering another revolution, the sexual revolution that came out of the 1960s. And what he wanted to do was counter that revolution that was desacralizing marriage and family and sexuality and show that all those things had deep meaning that God had written into human nature itself. And so this theology of the body was St. John Paul II's answer to the nihilism that had arisen out of the West with the sexual revolution and the East with the Bolshevik revolution that was atheistic and materialistic in its outlook of the human person. And he really believed that the future of the family and the future of humanity depended on recovering a vision of the theology and purpose of marriage and the family. We're gonna talk about the importance of that strategy tonight. You know, when we talk about theology of the body, what St. John Paul II really wanted to do was really help rescue the vision of marriage and family that was in great peril. And we know that from the 1960s, he became Pope at the end of the 1970s, and already by the time of the beginning of St. John Paul II's pontificate, family was in crisis. And that crisis is only deepened to such an extent now that we don't even know, we've redefined family, we've redefined sexuality, but now gender is completely lost. People can choose their own gender, and these are radical questions. Radical questions that were lost because we lost not only God, but the nature of man and woman, marriage and sexuality. And so it's really important to recover that. And that's why I'm really pleased to have a special guest on tonight, uh, Damon Owens, who has dedicated his life. He left the great corporate life and career to dedicate himself to his Catholic faith and being uh, apostolic and sharing the good news about marriage and family and sexuality, theology of the body. And he and his wife recently started an apostolate called Joyful Ever After. And that's really what the call of marriage is, isn't it? So Damon, it's a great joy to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be with you. I love the work you're doing, and this is a great topic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you know, Damon, first I want to just go back, before we talk about your apostle that, that you and Melanie started, uh, really to strengthen marriage in this time, which is so needful, and I, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. Just give us a little background. You know, are, are you a convert to Catholicism, cradle Catholic, and, and when did your Catholic faith become so uh, intense and, you know, deep in your life that you wanted to dedicate your life to Christ? Yeah, so I grew up Catholic, and my father was a convert, actually converted when he was 16, walked into a Catholic church in Asheville, North Carolina, and not quite mm -hmm. North Carolina, and really just uh, the presence of the Lord just can really just challenge him. His father, my grandfather, was an AME Zion itinerant preacher, so that's one side of the family. My mother is generations Catholic, and my sisters and I grew up in the faith. I think my later part of the maybe 9, 10 started to get more active. But my major conversion really was uh, in college. So I went to Brown undergrad, Berkeley grad school, and two schools that Brown I, I described as taking my faith, <laughs> and believe it or not, uh, found, refound my Catholic faith at Berkeley when mm -hmm. I met this beautiful woman named Melanie. Uh. So. Yeah, your Double wife. vocation. Well, I love that background because if you look at your family background from the, you know, the, the preaching side and that Catholic side, they've really merged together because now you've become a dynamic speaker. You speak all over the country 
uh, at many, many conferences and events, really sharing the power of the Catholic vision for marriage and the family, which is so needed today, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, and and thank you for that. But I, this is not the career path that I've planned. It's certainly not. I didn't learn this in engineering school. I have two degrees in engineering. Spent 16 years in the field, and neither in the offices nor in school was this part of it. But I really discovered uh, in the conversion, actually, back to the faith. Melanie and I, in the two years before we were married, discovered uh, this faith that both of us had grown up with on different coasts. And uh, it took a few years later before I really discovered a love of teaching, just a, mm -hmm. which I never knew that I had. And just giving our witness about our faith gave us an opportunity to teach on subjects that really matter to us. So that's the genesis of the, uh, the, God, the apostolate. Well, I'm glad that you're using those gifts that the <laughs> Holy Spirit's you. given you to really help spread and enforce the kingdom of God. And, and especially on this topic of marriage and family, which is really under a particular crisis right now. And I, I just want to go back a couple years ago. It was right, I think it was just a couple weeks before the COVID pandemic hit that you and your wife launched your new apostolate. I mean, I was, gotta, that's got to be tough timing. But before we talk about how tough it was to, to start this apostolate right then, what put it on your hearts to do this apostolate joyful ever after? In all truth, Tim, it's, it's, um, it's a coming together of decades of uh, the same desires, the same seed. Mm. And in many ways, it's refined. Like in the 90s when Melanie and I were out doing the pre-canas and marriage preps, it was very much the, the fire of the reversion and our own experience, our witness, and mixed with a lot of uh, humana vitae as we started to get challenging questions and we started to study the faith. And, and it wasn't until the theology of the body got into my view around 2002, 2003, that was part of my leaving corporate and having finding a whole new vocabulary, a whole new path, a new way to getting to what even for those prior 10 years was part of the call. So Joyful Ever After really is about focusing not just marriage and family, not just, but very much in the couples. What does it take to get the marriage you want from the marriage you have? Wow, and that's a, a beautiful line. mix. I, I love Isn't that. Isn't that great? I, lo I love your focus, your mission focus, how to get the marriage you want from the marriage you have. And you know, I think <laughs> you give hope. When, when people hear that, it, what I love about that, Damon, is it, it's, it's casting a vision of hope. You know, as yeah. Catholics, we believe in the resurrection, even from the dead. And uh, I'm sure you've seen that with a lot of couples where they felt their relationship was probably dead, but it can be resurrected in Christ, can it, by grace? Absolutely, and that's, that's the whole story of marriage. And we rightly focus about marriage as a vocation, uh, and, uh, and yet in sacramentally, very much as a sacrament of healing, mm -hmm. and a healing of memory, imagination, of identity, of relationship in marriage, and also of, of uh, the ultimate connection with God. But it's hard to see that when we don't see the connection between our relationship with Christ mm -hmm. and this particular person that we see, smell, hear, taste, touch, that we're so attracted to and then so hurt by and then mm -hmm. still so attracted to. And then, you know, when we build this, this real flesh and blood relationship, it's hard to keep that connection unless we're intentional about it. That's so important. Well, Damon, I want to invite our audience to text in with their questions. So we, we would love for you to join our conversation if you have questions for Damon, questions with marriage and family and strengthening marriage, especially as you just mentioned, this, this focus on couples and how you can have a healthy, strong relationship and how you can get to the marriage you want and the marriage you have. So you can text us at 720-650-0100. That's 720-650-0100. We'd love to get your questions and uh, feel free to fire away. So, uh, Damon, what, you know, you've been working with couples for uh, several decades now, right? With marriage and family. And now you've got this apostolate. 
What was one of the things you really hoped to achieve with you and Melanie embarking on this new apostolic venture, Joyful Ever After? What, what, what's your aim? What's your mission? Yeah, I tell you, Tim, even with those with the years, and we really have been in, in this for a long time, this is so different. It feels so new mm. because a lot of the focus is not sort of this 10,000-foot view of just principles and ideas and concepts and abstract, which are important. We're, we're disoriented, as you, as you said in your opening. It's important. But Joyful Lover After is very much a, um, a, a personal apostolate, building small groups of, of couples that journey together in friendship over a certain amount of time. As I say, we're not so much... Um, uh, evangelizing through catechesis, which is fine, but our focus is about um, catechizing through evangelization. Mm -hmm. So it's the friendship, it's the fellowship, it's the encounter with one another to build authentic friendship and allowing that to be, you know, the locus of building your marriage. I love that. And when you look at that building those marriages, as you mentioned, what are some of the things that you find that our couples are in the current situation right now most needy where, where, where are couples hurting and where where can the healing first start to give couples hope and strength you know yeah it's a great question and we're, we're discovering this we had two major events the catholic marriage summit last year Thirty-nine thousand couples participated in some incredible numbers we have about twenty thousand through our epic intimacy and the honest answer tim is that it really does depend there's no overwhelming trend. Um, yeah. We find that there's differences in age. You have certain generational differences. Our older couples are really asking for assistance and help in specific areas that don't necessarily relevant for the first five, seven years married. Mm -hmm. We have the couples that have multiple kids and they're in, that, in the heat of that raising kids and, and young teens. And that's not a time of real marital intimacy. It's, mm -hmm. it's difficult. It's a season where, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is, uh, that's more of a challenge. So I think looking at, as we've tried to do in these different stages, has revealed to us that the real felt needs of couples really has to be attuned to where they are in these seasons of their marriage. And um, it's, it, that's why the fellowship is important, mm -hmm. because getting that connection with an older couple or a younger couple sort of rounds out your own perspective of where you are getting the marriage you want from the marriage you have. I think it's uh, really crucial, as you say, to realize that there's stages in marriage. It goes through a cycle, a life cycle, and there's times where, you mentioned early on, where you're having lots of young kids and you're on, you're on the run, right? And then there's <laughs> other periods uh, of maturity and, uh, you know, when you go through the stage of being empty nesters, that's a whole other stage. But one of the things you mentioned early on is how, you know, learning St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body really gave you a, a it, you know, it really, it's what brought you out of the corporate life, as you said. You know, yes. it, you got so excited about this vision. And it seems to me that St. John Paul II, with the Theology of the Body, was trying to show that marriage and sexuality has a plot. Uh, it, it's a story with a plot. And I think the world in the sexual revolution tried to take the plot out of sex and marriage by saying that we could make it anything we wanted to make it, which meant it didn't have any meaning. And yeah. I think that's part of the good news, isn't it? Is that it does have meaning. And it's a meaning written into our human hearts and into our human nature. And I think that's really important. So I'd love to hear how you see Theology of the Body fitting into the whole postulate and the whole way that it could be good news for couples, whatever stage they're in. Yeah, I think you hit it beautifully. I love the way you said that in terms of having a plot. 
and we talk about your irreplaceable role in the salvation story, you know, how, you know, your particular is part of a universal. We've all these phrases that get exactly to what you're saying. And I think John Paul II knew that. He knew, you know, even the decades prior when he was building this anthropology, this truth of the human person, he had an eye on the culture. He could see things that on the moral level that people were rightly wringing their hands about. But in fact, it was really deeper issues of identity and relationship with God. And I think that the answer to that question really is about bringing in the horizon mm. so that we don't, as people say, immunitize the eschaton. We don't take the eternal and try to make it everything that's in the moment, but at the same time allow the moment to reveal that eternal truth. So it really is about perspective. And John Paul II has given us that with the theology of the body. Mm. Well, the question comes in, Ashley asks, you know, my husband and I have been married for about two years. What's the best advice you can give for starting off a marriage strong? <laughs> well, I love those questions. Yeah. Um, if I was with you, I would ask you some, some leading questions about, you know, each other and where you come from and what you're looking at. Um, one of the greatest, one of the best advices that we, we've gotten, we've gotten quite a few, is um, allow yourselves to, to be beginners. I think Wendy West had said that in one of the testimonies in the Catholic Merit Summit. Give each other permission to be beginners. Uh, that whole sense of being on uh, performance, of everything needing to be perfect, of every uh, you know argument somehow being catastrophic. You know we have a certain perspective that the, the conflict is negative, so that means the more conflict, there's something wrong with the relationship. But there's also expectations that we come into marriage with that we haven't really articulated to ourselves, much less to our beloved. So to new couples, I would start there. If I'm blind in terms of your specifics, I would mm -hmm. say, you know what? Have that the, the permission to really have fun with each other, allow each other to be beginners. And when you hurt each other, when you make mistakes, find a way to, to find the language and the approach that allows you to heal quickly. You know, you mentioned that marriages go through different phases and you have to kind of customize uh, advice and different things for those different phases, which I think is so wise. Damon, you know, I, I think of, uh, well, let me put it, I, I got two questions for you. The first one's going to be, do you think that, especially amongst devout Catholics, that there's a certain stigma that I can't be struggling in my marriage? That means I'm a bad Catholic, I'm a bad Christian. Do you think that's a problem that people don't want to face challenges in marriage because they're devoutly Christian? Yeah, I, I think first part, I absolutely agree. I think there's something about, you know, our individual devotion to the Lord, our piety, our relationship with the Lord that does color our expectations coming into marriage, both men and women. And when things fall out of that, and I would even go so far as, you know, you study the theology of the body and you have this beautiful communal uh, view understanding and then you have this petty conflict or you have this mm -hmm. hurt that your spouse gives you and you think, well, I should just suck this up. I should just take it. I should, you know, find a way to give it to the Lord. And you still got to figure out a way, but how do you do that? And then how do you help your spouse do that? Mm -hmm. So I think that the, the real challenge is that our understanding of the faith is helpful, but it's not the same as that active experience of good, bad, and ugly. The truth about who we are, the truth about our beloved, and the fact that we don't have the power to live this marriage, the sacramental marriage, on our own, that it's all coming from God. But what that looks like in your marriage mm -hmm. is unlike anybody else's. You know, it's, I think it, that's so important, the idea that, you know, this is something that's going to take grace. It's going to take God's help. And, uh, you know, Fulton Sheen said it, it's th it takes three to get married. And that's really yeah, the, love that. the, the Catholic perspective, isn't it? That, you know, two uh, children of Adam and Eve who are fallen, mm -hmm. 
uh, are going to be imperfect, and they can't do this without um, without God's grace. You know, one of the things in the spiritual life, to use an analogy, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. In the spiritual life, there's three ages or stages in our relationship with God, and we go through a purgative stage, a you know, illuminative, a time of light, and then a time of unity, the unitive stage. And it takes a lot of work, as St. John of the Cross and Teresa Mavlin and other writers talk about, to move through those stages to get to the unitive. And you have to go through uh, the dark night of the senses to get to the you know, illuminative stage, for example. And it, it strikes me, Damon, that if a relationship with God is going to require purgation and challenge, that a relationship with another human being, <laughs> with a spouse that God has called us to be married to, is likewise going to re, re, you know, require purgation. And I think if we expect that and aren't surprised by it, um, it helps us be prepared, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. And I love that, that schema uh, of you know, the purgative, the limitative, and the, and the unitive. And I would go so far as to say, because marriage is a sacrament, and because it is a means to holiness, that in fact those two are the same for married couples. Mm -hmm. That the purgation, the illuminate, the light, and the unity is in and through the marriage yeah. in order for us to grow together in that holiness with God. And that's that's next level. When you begin, you're worried about literally the toothpaste and whether the forks go up or down in the dishwasher, or whether mm -hmm. you know you meant this when you said it, and I heard this, and you know, all very very temporal, very sensual, very secular, and they're important. But it's in and through that that allows us to see these eternal truths and this growth that happens, a growth that can only happen through this conflict, through that purgation, through the light that allows us to see ourselves and each other differently, and to the deepening unity that happens in a moment that you didn't expect, but it's an experience, not an idea. So marriage is very much that sensual, see, smell, hear, taste, touch. It's the occasion for that uh, unity with God. Yeah, it, there's there's a reality to that, living out that, yeah. that kind of relationship that's so concrete and specific. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. And then exactly. I, and then I, then I learned. And then exactly. I, and then when I thought I got beyond that selfishness, then, then when we had our, our, our son Joseph, then I really realized how selfish I, we, I really was. Exactly. Uh, and you ask, like, how else would I have found that out? How else would I know to be loved for the mess that I am except through Melanie yeah. and then through my kids? Yeah. And then and I'm able to love and to exercise, you know, a mercy that I never would have would have experienced before. And I'm still got a long way to go. But just the yeah. that little occasion gives us a real lived experience of how God loves us, how he sees mm -hmm. us, how he knows us, how he's delighted in us and how he gives us far more than we deserve. You know, that's that beauty of mercy. Yeah, that is mercy, and mercy and, and give, giving us. I like that idea of giving, that God does give us more than we deserve. And that's something that St. John Paul II talked a lot about. He loved the idea of gift. And yes. I think it's one of the crucial elements of the theology of the body is this idea of gift. And mm -hmm. so one of our uh, audience asked, how would, you explain, how would you explain theology of the body to a non-believer? And I, I frame that also with the idea of gift, because I think that's a really important part of the theology of the body. I'd love to hear your wisdom on that. Yeah, that, that's been part of the, the early ministry speaking about you know, particular audiences. They could be Catholic, they could be Christian, biblical connection. They could also be, you know, no theology. I mean, theology is not where you lead with a non-believer, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that my approach has always been to look to his earlier work in Love and Responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's a book he wrote in 1960 that I think has that 
the same schema of connecting the eternal and the, and the, and the temporal, but he begins with love. He begins with the human experience of love and brings that into its perfection in God. And theology body really begins with the truth about God, the truth about the unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being made in his image and likeness and the capacity to love and to give one another and gift. It's beautiful, but it begins, I believe, with that presupposition of, of a theos. It's a theology, it's a study of God. But love and responsibility gets to the human experience of love and gives it what we all desire, this infinite, this eternal uh, horizon and dimension. So to the non-believer, I, I begin with things like love and joy. This is one of the reasons we have joyful ever after as our ministry. Mm -hmm. Joy has been a part of all of this because it's irrefutable. It, you can't, you know, love. We can have debates now because of the distortion, but nobody debates joy. Mm -hmm. So where is it that we connect, and where is it that we can show that if you desire that, let me show you where it is in its fullness. I love that you bring in uh, John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility, which. He, you know, which came out of, as you know, his pastoral ministry of doing confessions and spiritual direction for these young college students and university students and young families. And they were still struggling with different things in their marriages. They would bring that to confession. So, I, you know, um, and it, it fits, that context fits really well with a question that one of our audience has. Anna asks, you know, what does a pope know about sex? I mean, how, how could a pope guide us with that? And I think of, you know, with, since you brought up love and responsibility, John Paul II deals with sex, but he, he talks about it in the context of love and gift versus using, loving versus using. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, that and answer to Anna's question about what, what can a pope know about sex? Yeah, absolutely, and it's a valid question, right? And I think because we place sex on the realm first of morality. So when we speak of sex, whether secular or in the church, we begin on a moral plane. What's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong? You know, what can you do, how far can you go? I mean, all that mm -hmm. sort of juridical, legal approach to it. But the, the reorientation of John Paul II and even, you know, Carol Vortiva as a professor and a bishop, as you mentioned, he was reoriented to identity and saying that the first truth about sex is that we are male, female. So sex is a noun well before it's a verb, something that we do. So what does he know about sex? First of all, he's a man made male, so he understands the, the, the real lived experience of being male. But all of this, none of these things exist on their own. They're deeply connected, Anna. So when we speak about uh, sex, he, it's not about eliminating, it's not about repressing, it's about illuminating the fullest truth about what it means to be made male and female in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, what will you do with that power that's given in the union of man and woman? So the great gift that he has as a pope, as a theologian, as a philosopher, as a professor, as someone who studied it, is that he's deeply rooted in the human experience, but he's also deeply rooted in that, in that eternal truth about God and how the two meet. So he can reveal to us uh, who are blinded by our own locked in of morality, he can help us to see a great horizon that we're actually blinded to. Mm. And I think that uh, that idea that we can be so blinded by that, you know, and I think that people get blinded by the idea that, you know, they forget in the sexual revolution that sex is about love. And, you know, someone who's a priest or a pope, you know, they're on a vocation of love. And so there's a, there's a lot of kinship between uh, what happens between a man and a woman in terms of their love and making a gift to themselves, right? And, you know, uh, you know, the nuptial meaning of the body that John Paul II, even though he's celibate, has made a love gift of his body by giving that to the Lord as a sacrifice 
to make himself available pastorally to the world as pope and as to his congregation as a priest, right? I mean, there's this sense of, of gift in that, yeah, which is yeah. what the body's all about, is making ourselves a gift to the other. That's exactly right. I realized I didn't answer your question about self-gift. So, you know, when he talks about self-gift, he says, you know, to give oneself to the other is the ultimate form of love, whether we're speaking about uh, the agape, mm -hmm. you know, this, that I am yours and you are mine, this exchange at the altar. But he says you can't give what you don't possess. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a certain self-possession yeah. in order to make the gift of yourself. And you can't possess something that you don't know. Mm -hmm. So he provides the schema in the theology of the body of self-knowledge should lead us to the virtues and self-mastery, which then should call us in the act of love to make a self-gift. Mm. And then you mentioned Fulton Sheen, he ties back this self-gift by saying, love deepens our knowledge. Mm. So it turns out that when we love and make the gift, we come to know ourselves more, more sincerely. We, we know who we are, it's marriage, it's being a father, it's being a mother, mm. which then should deepen the virtue, the strength, to be more self-possessed, to make a more sincere self-gift. So there's a dynamism here, is the point of self-gift. It's not just static exchange of things. It really is the formation of the human person. Damon, I love how you break open the different dim dimensions here. And you know, a lot of people would just say, you know, and this is the slogan of the day, love is love. And uh, <laughs> right. what, what would you say in response to that, you know? Can I say this on air? No, no, I'll say it on air. Right? <laughs> love is love is probably one of the stupidest, one of the, one of the most ridiculous statements that nobody actually believes. Mm -hmm. You know, you see it on the bumper stickers, you see it on the, the yard signs, but love is not love. And what I've said to college students that I think is appropriate is that, you know, if I love my wife, Melanie, the same way that I love my daughters, if I love my daughters the same way that I love my wife, you need to put me under the jail. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's put the, the aside that love yeah. is love. Love is not love. Uh, all love is good. All love is from God, but not all love is the same. Even the pagan Greeks knew that. Eros, philia, storge, agape. Yeah. It's, that's, it's one of these modern aphorisms that is just, it's, it's empty. You know, that's, it's so important that you make those distinctions because I think that people in the modern world just think love is love, but you know, my love for ice cream or my love for uh, you know, biking and hiking has got to be different than my love for my wife. Otherwise, I'm, I'm using my wife like I would use ice cream versus how I'm loving my wife, right? So it's, there's different kinds and degrees of love. And I think, you know, here at the Augustine Institute, we have Augustine as our patron, and Augustine's really big on, you know, there's, there's two paths to go. Both, are, both paths are led by love. Love of self to the point where you hold God in contempt, and love of God to the point where you're willing to lose yourself, right? So the way to heaven and the way to hell are both paved with love. It depends on what your love is. You know, love, what you love defines who you are. Mm, I love that. I love yeah. that. You know, and you know, I, I'm a little more maybe pessimistic. I think I don't think people really believe it. I think mm. it's a safe place. It's a safe bubble in a world that doesn't allow and doesn't have a vocabulary to talk about. A distinction and difference, even discrimination, right? It's, it's cutting away things. And I think it's a safe place to allow people to say, I can do whatever I want. Mm. But I don't think people really believe that love is love. Yeah. I just think that's the public acceptance, the social mm -hmm. contract, yep. you know, for this day and age. Yeah. Well, we, we've got a question from Harrison who says that uh, he and his fiance are engaged, going to get married soon. What resources Wonderful. should they use to, to, to get ready for this great adventure of marriage? Yeah, great question. Yeah. I know with at Joyful Ever After, you know, we are um, crafting parts of the Catholic Marriage Summit. There are 
about 65, 15-minute talks from Catholic couples across the, mm-hmm. the spectrum here. It's just a great preparation. But I really think the number one thing is getting into a community, uh, somewhat build friendships, mm-hmm. uh, not just consuming information and content and ideas. You know, the sacramental bar is, 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 is immovable in terms of free consent to marry, but it doesn't require all of the, you know, the theology behind it. Uh, I love it, I teach it, and I will continue to do it with joy. But as, as a newly engaged couple preparing for marriage, uh, you need to be around a good group of married couples at different stages and just find a place where you're comfortable, where you can build real friendship so that well before a crisis, you've got people that you trust and you know that can help you with questions of faith, mm-hmm. questions of relation, questions of conflict, working through your wounds. Uh, that to me is the, is the gold. The gold is that connection with real married couples that can help you process something that's never experienced before. Well, Damon, I, I, I love that you have this great gift of teaching, that you love the theology of the body and, and all the teaching of the church, but you also have a great practical sense. And I think that answer illustrates that you're, you're, this practical wisdom that you and your wife try to share with a lot of people. So I hope that if people are looking for resources, I'll just recommend again that they can go to Joyful Ever After and uh, check out your website. We'll have that on there right now. And so people can go there. And uh, Damon, I, wanna, I can't believe how fast the time goes, but I want to thank you for being with us on the show. I really appreciate the time and your passion for the mission of the church. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who supports us through the Mission Circle. You allow us to have this mission. So thank you so much, and may the Lord bless and keep you all. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.